Welcome to Sacred Intersections Podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA. And I'm Paula, and I'm a licensed counselor and a counseling professor. And Jill, here we are in episode seven. Episode seven. Episode seven. That's exciting. It's so exciting. And we've got a lot of pretty big stuff to get to today. So before we jump in, we do just want to to say hi to our listeners again and just thank you for continuing on this journey with us. We got our first Apple review. Woohoo! So that was really fun. And um, that's meant to inspire you all. <laughs> you could hit pause right now and go write one yourself if you'd like to. But we're glad that you're here and we really like you and we're really grateful that you're on this journey with us. Yes. And we thank you to all of those who've, who've shared this with others and told it just y'all mean so much to us. We're just very excited to to be able to be a little part of your lives. Yeah. So our topic for this week's episode, we are going to talk about race. And racism. And racism. And this is not to say that we will get even close to covering some of the things that we hope to cover or need to cover. This is one race episode of what I hope will be many race episodes. Um, And there are some really important things that you need to know about us as we begin this conversation. Yes, and I'm glad you said that, Jill, because I I agree that we're not going to solve racism today. Much as we would like to. Much as we would like to. And that we really hope this will be the beginning of a conversation, of a perhaps mm-hmm. difficult conversation. But yes, as you said, we just think it's really important up front to, if you haven't figured it out by now, that we're two white women having this conversation we are privileged in many ways and that is one aspect that we carry a great deal of privilege yeah and we've talked about whether we should even have this conversation with just the two of us whether Mm -hmm. it was okay for us to use our platform in this way and it remain just the two of us in the room yeah one of the things that's gonna come up i think we're gonna say something wrong at some point and it may even be right now that i'm saying something wrong but We just want to be really transparent with you and our decisions around what we share in this podcast and how we how we try to be very intentional about what we bring to you and what we put forth um, into the world with our names on it and us bearing the name of Christ on it. Yeah. And we we talked to some of our friends of color and colleagues of color to see just to get their opinions on whether it was even okay for us to have this conversation. And I hear that and I hear the potential for tokenism even in that statement that i'm making of i have this black friend that i asked if i could do this and they said it was okay (laughs) and and i don't want to be that and that that's just that's how we came to this decision is we had several conversations and really reflected in conversations with each other so we do want to share some of the things that they shared with us that we should keep in mind exactly And fellow travelers, navigators, friends, listeners um, that are part of our community, there is a lot of content out there for your consumption about race and racism right now. And we recognize that we are two voices that are adding to that content. Our hope is to come from the lens to the sacred intersection of how is race and racism an intersection that impacts mental health and the church and how are 
people of faith, how are we as people of faith intersecting and interacting with things like issues of race and racism and privilege and supremacy that, you know, our podcast is called Sacred Intersections. So that's where we're coming from. And that's sort of the lens that we bring to our conversation tonight. Yeah. And, you know, and just recognizing two white women having these conversations, we just want to acknowledge our limitations around this conversation up front. We we don't know what the demographics, the racial demographics of our listeners. Right, and yeah. so I think we both envision that this will probably be hopefully a conversation that would be interesting to all all races, but that it might be a little more white people sharing some thoughts with white people mm-hmm. about stuff that we need to be working on, that we personally have been working on, that we're continuing to work on, and that we want to encourage other white people to be working on. We mentioned last week in our episode on COVID where we touched briefly on race that so much of the work of racial reconciliation has been laid on the shoulders of people of color. And that's not fair. It's not, it's ridiculous to expect people who have been oppressed to teach their oppressor. Yep. And yet that's what happens so much. And so that's part of the reason why we did choose to move forward which is the two of us because we want to to take on some of the responsibility we have to do our own work and yes. to share the work that we're doing with other white people yes um but we're also open to hearing from white people and people of color if we're getting it wrong when right. we say this absolutely because it's important to say we're not finished we are uh, we oh. are this is a conversation in progress racism has not been solved and there is still work that we're doing together, work we're doing individually, and um, that is hard work, and it's work that needs to be done. I believe it's work that God's calling us to. So um, hear this as a conversation that's in progress. Uh, it's a conversation that is timely, and yet it feels like it shouldn't be timely. We've we've been through some civil rights movements before, and and. And I'm sure that there is a exhaustion and an exasperation that we are somehow going through this again. Um, but it's important, important work. Um, and we want to hold each other accountable to that. And we want you, dear community, to hold us accountable to that and, and find a way to, to do this work together. Yes. Yes, exactly. The work in progress from a societal perspective, from a systemic perspective, and from an individual perspective. We are not talking into these microphones as experts on this topic. We're just going to share some thoughts we have and some experience we have. And and hopefully it will be helpful to someone else who might be on the same journey. But because this is, we are not speaking as finished products by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And that... Yeah. And we're also sensitive to to the idea that as two white ladies <laughs> talking to a community wherein we're not, uh, like Paula said, we can see from our analytics where you are listening from and what platform you might be using. Um, but we don't know the color of your skin or other identities that you may have. But it's not our intention in white ladies talking to white people to create an idea of a white savior complex. Mm. We're not here to say, okay, white people, we're going to go in and we're going to fix everything and let's go white people. This is how you fix racism. 
Um, right. That's not what we're trying to do. Yeah. And if you haven't heard the term white savior, why don't you talk a little bit about that term, Jill? Sure. Well, so we hear the word savior and we think about a number of things. And I would imagine as people of faith, they think about Jesus. And so important thing to note, Jesus was not white. Jesus was not white. Jesus was a refugee. Yes. Lots of important identities there, Jesus had. There are a lot of important identities that God incarnate in Jesus had as someone who identifies as a male, as a child of refugees and a, a, a refugee himself, as a Jew, as a person of Middle Eastern descent. So the idea of a white savior complex is that it is a white person who can come in and wave a magic wand or snap their fingers and undo centuries of oppression against black and indigenous and people of color, BIPOC, which is a term that's come into use recently. I think when I think about white savior, I think about pop culture things like the movie The Blind Side. I love that movie. (laughs) And there are some problematic aspects to it is wonderful that a white family took in this young black man and helped him succeed in football, and and that is great. And that didn't solve racism. And there are still parts of, of his identity as a black football player. Spoiler alert if you've never seen the movie. Um, <laughs> but that white savior idea that white people in the doing of a small number of good deeds can somehow erase all of the evil that has been done and the oppression that has been laid upon black and indigenous and other people of color. That is a white savior complex. And so don't hear us saying, okay, here's a list of we come to save the day. Right. That's that's not. (laughs) (laughs) And that's as much singing as you will hear me do, (laughs) dear listeners. (laughs) But, um, Yeah, but that's not we're not Mighty Mouse. We're not this right. is not what we're doing here. And you know, just that white savior being this idea of there's there's such a concept of othering in it too, that I am above you and better than you and I'm coming I'm going to enter your world. I'm going to right. bless you with my presence mm-hmm. to enter your world and fix everything. Yeah. Where with a lot of people going, I don't need fixing and I don't need your help and you created this problem yes. so so this idea of you know the word ally is thrown around a lot and the thing I've heard around that word a lot is not coming in saying here I have the answer me as a white person have it all figured out it is what are you doing how can I help you what do you need from me help me understand your situation and how I can perhaps use my privilege which we'll talk more about that word shortly to join you rather than I'm coming in over you, above you to fix everything. Yeah. That's not what we want this to be. Right. So another place where white saviorism or or this this idea that the the white people can fix it all, I think the church plays a role in that a lot. And the concept of uh, evangelism and missionaries and I will go into your part of the world and make you believe what I believe and behave the way I behave, colonialism, and the ways in which everyone needs to be the same. Everybody needs to think the way I do and Mm -hmm. worship the way that I do. 
there has been times when the goal of missionary work by a particular denomination or by a particular church has been to change the way that people live and to disrespect their culture and to disregard the things that make them the diverse, beautiful, beloved children of God that they are. And it's outlined a lot in a book called Toxic Charity. Great book. So Toxic Charity outlines the idea that it is not a great way to do charity, even if it's not even charity across racial lines, to go in and say, okay, here we are in North Carolina. We're going to go down to Cuba and give them what we think that they need. We're going to bless you so much by spending a week digging ditches without recognizing the impact on that established culture and needs and how many people might benefit from being paid to dig ditches rather than rich Americans coming in and doing volunteerism. And and I've done mission trips, you know, I've been guilty of this and... And I got a lot out of it and it was really, but that's, I think we have to recognize that what I did on my mission trips wasn't, was much more for me than it was for the people I was quote unquote helping. So that's probably a whole nother podcast right. too to yeah, talk about that mission is trips. definitely another And the white savior, but, but those are often the, where we see that white savior complex coming yes. in and yes. we don't want, we see this podcast as being a way to say where have we as white people contributed to racism and caused mm-hmm. problems and where, how can we take accountability for this and how can we work towards racial reconciliation and sharing Christ's love? Exactly. Um, yeah. So, you know, if we were to jump way, way ahead and say one of the U-turns we would love to see for white saviorism, I would say is a very simple practice of empathy. Hmm. We need Uh, Instead of, I'm a white person, I'm going to snap my fingers and do this good deed and make everything better, we need to be as um, author and activist and amazing human Brian Stevenson says, we need to be in proximity in order to build these relationships and understand what needs are. So one of the ways we combat being a white savior is by closing our mouths and opening our ears and listening to what these needs are and allowing voices that have been silenced for too long to be amplified. Yes. And then perhaps going back and having conversations with other white people around it, having those difficult conversations. And, you know, and and that's what we hope this conversation is, is you getting to listen into a difficult conversation. And, you know, I said earlier, we're going to say something wrong. Great. And that's what happens in our society sometimes is somebody says one thing wrong and then kind of the cancel culture could probably also be a whole nother episode oh gosh, <laughs> along the sure way. Can. And, you know, but we think it's worth the risk for us to, even though it's difficult to still have these conversations and to model being willing to talk about this stuff and grapple with it. And if we say something wrong or offensive to be willing to take that feedback and instead of getting defensive like I'm doing the best I can to be able to say I hear you let me understand that better let me understand why how I can say it better next time and to truly learn from it rather than 
getting defensive, um, which is a natural initial reaction, but it's also not real productive. Right. There's this balance that I am am still trying to find. And it's December. It's the middle of December of 2020. So we've been having race. Many people have been having race conversations for decades. Here in America, the race conversation has been significantly heightened since May. Lots of people going, oh my gosh, is this still a problem? Right. And our friends of color looking going, yeah, it's always been a problem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And even to me, I have felt in the last six or seven months, feeling the need to say, we are talking about the coronavirus pandemic or we are talking about the pandemic of racism because it is a pandemic in a true, mm-hmm. in the truest sense of the word, that it is a virus and evil that has invaded the systematic structures of our country. And, and we are going to say things wrong. And there also needs to be a balance among the conversations that white people are having with each other. We white people need to give each other grace as we're having these conversations that there are many people who are in very many different spots. And I want you all to hear me say, I don't, grace is important all of the time. But I don't want to say, people of color, you need to give me a white person grace when I'm not in the place where I need to be. That's, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we white people need to have grace with each other as we figure out how to navigate this work. And that there may be another white person who is way further along in this work who I need to learn from and who I need to get there. And there also needs to be grace that we're, we're figuring this out together. And, and perhaps enmity, because there is plenty of enmity enough in the world, that we don't need to create more enmity by saying, you are doing it wrong. Yes. And, or how dare you, you're awful, you're a racist, I'm never talking to you again. Yes. That, and I understand the desire to do that. And I also think for people of color, if you choose to do that, that is a-okay, you know, there that you, again, do not have to be the teacher for white people that you are so often called to be. And I do think those of us who are very intentional about doing this work have to recognize the different developmental levels that, that our listeners are coming from. Some of you are listening and you're angry at us already and you may not get any further. Some of you are going, this is so basic. Why are they still talking about these right? basic things? I mean, people are all over the map and yeah. where they understand. The, I mean, this is a big, big concept. Right. And so this idea of grace being don't give up on someone because they get it wrong. Is there a way that that could be a conversation that you start and try to pull them along a little bit, seek first to understand? You know, one of my rules is that people don't hear very well until they feel heard. Mm. And so if you can hear someone and then perhaps start a conversation, you know, it's this podcast can do a little bit, but you having a conversation with your uncle so-and-so at, you know, the holiday dinner is probably going to do a lot more than what this podcast can do. Yeah. And so, but there also may become a time when you say, nope, I need to set this boundary. You are toxic. I've done all I can and I'm not, and that's okay too. I just would encourage you to, it's just, we don't want to be, 
white people on our high horse that we figured this all out and uh-uh, and yeah. and we're so much better than other people who haven't figured it all out. We're all still figuring it out and there have been many people recently but throughout my life who've shown great grace to me and who've said, Paula, uh, here's a better way to say that. Yeah. Or do you understand how that's coming across? And yep. I'm like, I didn't understand that and thank you for helping me even though oh, it didn't feel good in the moment and I wanted to defend myself and probably mm-hmm. have at many other times. Yeah. So so I, when we talk about, I teach a class on diversity often for my counseling students and we have this, I said a lot, I spent a lot of time at the beginning of the semester creating safety in the class to be able to have uncomfortable conversations and to get things wrong because I'd rather you get things wrong in class yeah. than with a client. <laughs> what a gift to give to your students. That's, that's what I hope. That's my goal. And um, so one of those rules is assume good intent but also take responsibility for impact when your intent did not land in the way you meant it. Um, we have this oops, ouch, um, discuss kind of rule where if something hits someone the wrong way, often we're kind of intim- intimidated sometimes in a group to speak up or sure. we swallow it. And I say, you can just say ouch. And then the other person, they may not understand it, but they say oops. So there's at least a little bit of responsibility taking and then we kind of decide together is this something we want to have a discussion about now or do y'all want to table that or so that's just a little way to encourage people to speak up when they want to and for people to take responsibility but to start the conversation rather than it being a you said the wrong thing and shut up kind of conversation yeah yeah that is beautiful oops ouch discuss um that (laughs) Going in the cabinet to store, for sure. There's just, it's it's about relationships. It's about being in proximity. It's about practicing empathy and and being able to, to walk in someone else's shoes. And that happens in relationship. That happens in conversations. It doesn't happen in the comment section. It doesn't happen in the like, you know, it doesn't happen on social media, I don't think. Not usually. It's it may be a place to make a comment and ask for a discussion yeah. later on. Yeah. Um, but yes, social media often winds up just being a place of othering. Of mm-hmm. I'm going to post something and people who agree with me are going to like it or comment on it, and people who don't are going to huff and maybe stomp around their house or block me or sure. Um, yeah. So. Please don't hear me hating on social media. I'm one of the least hip people that I know. So I don't, I don't do social media well, and I'm learning the tips and tricks of, of how to build a community as we all are in this pandemic season, pandemic of coronavirus season, where we're not interacting with people face to face. And so we're yeah. building this community of listeners and of, of everybody um, without the ability to have these conversations because they're all happening sort of behind a screen and yeah. that there's there's a lot of different things that happen when you're communicating from behind a screen. Which it's I- so easy to become an echo chamber yeah. and to curate what shows up. Right. And so as a U-turn, you know, when we say things that we'd like to see instead, I would just offer a challenge, especially to our white people, our white listeners, to look at who you're following on Instagram yeah. and is it all white people or are you really exposing yourself? Have you been intentional about bringing other voices and diversity into that just even just to have different perspectives in your world so that it doesn't just become an echo chamber in a multitude of ways exactly and 
And we have said this before, um, we will have a number of resources that we will put in the show notes and a link to our website where you can find resources like suggested people to follow on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and perspectives to add. And the encouragement that I uh, that was offered to me is that when you stumble upon an Instagram post from one of these new people and you don't understand it or it makes you feel bad about yourself, maybe sit with that. You have said this before, mm-hmm. my brilliant friend. <laughs> Um, sit with the stuff that makes you uncomfortable for a little while. Yeah. Instead of of just shutting it down. Yeah. Sit with it. Yeah. And one of the many privileges that we have as white people is that we can tune it out. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, we can say, like, I don't like the way that that makes me feel. I'm going to unfollow that person or I'm going to not deal with, not deal with that. And, like, that privilege is not one that everyone has. There are... Only so many voices that you can tune out. That's all part of our introduction. It feels like we've already gotten into a lot of stuff. Yeah. But Jill, you had, had found a beautiful prayer that you thought might be nice to start. I think this prayer is so beautiful. So I just wonder if you would to, would read it for us. And kind of this was what helped, what we hoped would guide our discussion. Definitely. Today. Definitely. So this is, uh, it's, it's written as a prayer of confession And in the Presbyterian Church USA tradition, part of our regular worship is offering some words of confession. We have this belief that we mess up and that Jesus forgives us and God loves us and that through Jesus Christ's life and ministry and death on the cross and resurrection that we have been forgiven. But this prayer was written by the Reverend Dr. Yolanda Pierce, who currently serves as the Dean of Howard Divinity School. And it is a blessing. It is a hope. It is a prayer. And she writes, let us not rush to the language of healing before understanding the fullness of the injury and the depth of the wound. Let us not speak of reconciliation without speaking of reparations and restoration or how we can repair the breach and how we can restore the loss. Let us not value a false peace over a righteous justice. Let us not be afraid to sit with the ugliness and the messiness and the pain that is life in community together. Instead, Let us call for the crying, wailing, stricken children of the living God, those willing to rend their garments of privilege and ease and sit in the ashes of this nation's original sin. Let us be humble and listen to the pain, rage, and grief pouring from the lips of our neighbors and friends. Let us pray with our eyes open and our feet planted firmly on the ground. God, in your mercy, show me my own complicity in injustice. Convict me for my indifference. Forgive me when I have remained silent. Equip me with a zeal for righteousness. And never let me grow accustomed or acclimated to unrighteousness. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dr. Pierce. Thank you, Dr. Pierce. You know, there's, 
there's so much in that to unpack. Um, I think we could take that line by line and have a whole episode on each line. Right. The overarching theme I hear in that, though, is where I think so many white Americans have been in trying to rush to healing without acknowledging the pain. Yeah. And, you know, doing that individually, doing that systemically, doing that culturally, just on a wide variety of places that that it's easy to say, well, I never owned slaves. And that's what I hear a lot. I didn't do this. I never owned another person. You know, it's not my fault where we are. And like, can't we just move on? I think we hear that a lot. Can't we mm-hmm. just move on? Yeah. And there is also, I hear, uh, there's so much work to be done. And the thing I hear often is, but look how far we've come. Okay, we can absolutely acknowledge the fact that there have been some things put into place that have tried to start the work of repairing and restoring what was lost. But there is still a lot of work to be done. There's a long journey and a lot of work. And and we can't sit back and say that it's all solved. If we go in the context of a worship service, uh, we can just talk about how Presbyterians are not comfortable being uncomfortable. I would maybe posit that neither are white people. <laughs> I mean, nobody likes to be uncomfortable. <laughs> but in the context of a Presbyterian worship service, Presbyterian Church USA worship service, you have the prayer of confession and then you have the assurance of forgiveness immediately, mm. right away. And if we look at scripture, there are entire portions of scripture that are lament. There's a book called Lamentations and there's... In the Bible. It's in the Bible. (laughs) It's part of the scriptural canon and... It's a sacred text and we don't skim, we skim over it. Hmm. I, I may say I don't believe that it's in the revised common lectionary, the scriptures that are recommended that we preach on a regular basis. And that might not be true. So call me out if I'm wrong on that. But um, there's this unwillingness to sit with, to use Dr. Pierce's words, the ugliness and the messiness and the pain that is life in community together. And throughout scripture, we see all of these places where it's not easy to be in relationship with other people. Like there are plenty of examples in the very first book of the Bible of brothers who did not get along well. Like it's not easy being in community. The Israelites yeah. struggled for how long in the wilderness? <laughs> like, and, and they didn't do such a hot job all the time. <laughs> Um, nor do we. We all mess up. But there's there's a way in which we come to learn and come to understand if we're willing to sit just for a little while with our discomfort. And with the hurt that we have caused or the hurt that is there, even if we may not have directly caused it, that we're participating in. And, you know, even in that example, Jill, at least there is a prayer of confession before that it's okay. Yeah. And I do, I feel like so many white people at this point, and I've been there, are just kind of like even blowing past the prayer of confession of just like, it's okay now, isn't it? Are we still having these conversations? How many people have you heard say, we've had a black president? You know, mm. this country can't still be racist. We've had a black president. And I would 
I would offer that the election of our first black president exposed so much underlying racism that rather than being this overcoming, um, which was really important. I don't want to dismiss the importance of, of when, when President Obama was elected, but that also kind of was this kind of immediate threat to power, I think, for a lot of people and brought up a lot of this stuff that was definitely there and that people of color were feeling. It wasn't a, oh, it's over now, which so many white Americans seem to want to be. Yeah, yeah. There is a, a way in which I think white people look at racism and see it as an individual thing. I, mm. as an individual, did not own slaves, and so I am not responsible for racism. And so I think it's important that we talk about the idea of institutional racism and right. systemic racism, that there are many, many institutions and bodies that are complicit in that systemic racism, in that institutional racism. And the church with a big C. So that's not the church, any one denomination. That is all Jesus's body, the church, Catholic, Protestant, and everyone in between is complicit in some systemic institutional racism. And there are ways in which the institutions that we are a part of have upheld racist ideals there are denominations that have defended things like slavery. There are practices in our congregations and in our churches that were put together without considering anyone but white people. There are churches out there that have put together their rules and things without considering things like women. Like, yeah, there are a lot, there's a lot of things that institutions Corporate racism, the way in which an entire corporate body of people is taking on something. And so that's sort of where I feel like I want us to look at is these, these yeah. insti the institutional racism in the church. There is a way in which, no, you, Joe Schmo, did not own slaves. But you, Joe Schmo, worship as part of the church with a big C, and there is institutional racism in the church with a big C, that needs to be addressed, yeah. particularly you, the white church. Yes, you white Joe Schmo yeah. have benefited from slavery, even though that was, quote, so long ago. You've benefited from it, and, and descendants of slaves have been at a disadvantage because of that. And that does still happen today. That's the thing that seems really obvious just systemically that we're really not generationally that far away from this mm -hmm. and that of course the ripple effects institutionally financially um educationally just in so many places that of course that the ripple effects is there and so yes i agree with you we want to talk about the church specifically I feel like we need to maybe define the concept of privilege mm -hmm. before we go there because that happens both within and without the church. And, yes. um, and this is this is a word that if you don't believe in white privilege, you probably haven't made it this far. <laughs> also <laughs> I hope, true. I hope you have. I hope that you're just – I hope that you're at least sitting with, with this and trying to say, like, I may not agree with it all, but let me just – see because 
like why I'm just pondering more. Why is it easier for someone to say racism is over rather than sit with like, well, maybe we still have some restoration work to do here. Mm -hmm. Like why is that immediate response to defend rather than look at someone's telling me something. Mm -hmm. Why won't I listen to them? Sure. I don't have the complete answer for that, but if if your immediate response to the things that we're saying is to defend yourself, really think about where that's coming from yeah. and what it would mean if you let yourself just wonder about someone else's experience. Sure, sure. In this. Yeah. I I have colleagues who serve congregations where they've been told that they're they would prefer that the word privilege not be used in their sermons. Mm. And uh I think maybe that comes from what we've mentioned before about how shame isn't a good motivator. And I can see a world where someone hears that they have privilege and that that is something to be ashamed of. And I've gone all around the block on understanding the privilege that I have and trying to claim the privilege that I have and say, it's my privilege to say to, you know, to listen or not listen to this person on Instagram, or it's my privilege to have the freedom to have a podcast like this and not worry about losing my job. Um, and so I think that there are, there, there is genuine goodness coming from let's maybe not from the power of the pulpit, talk about privilege finger-wagging, shaming thing. But it also is important to understand privilege as a way in which you are different than someone else. Where you have advantage. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's just baffling to me to to think about how that word could be experienced as Mm finger-wagging. And that just says to me true ignorance. And that's not... That's not a insult. That's just a true lack of knowledge of what that word really means. Right. Of Because to, to recognize you have privilege, I think perhaps some people hear that and think that means you're rich. Like I think that's mm-hmm. been associated with a person of wealth and privilege a lot. Mm-hmm. And white people go, I'm not rich, so I can't have privilege. So I think it may be just a lack of understanding. of. So, we, so that's what we would like to do is kind of explain that it's not something – that someone's trying to shame you for. It's not something that someone's trying to um, ask you to give up even. It's, mm-hmm. well, perhaps to give up a little bit to, to, but it's more to recognize it and acknowledge it. So for me, it's a self-awareness piece. Yeah. And I, I work hard myself on recognizing when there are racist attitudes or thoughts that come into when I when I react a certain way to hearing something I try and do use this trendy phrase check my privilege how is how is my privilege a layer in which I'm understanding and interpreting this is is the Mm -hmm. reason that I am offended by this particular person's tone does that have anything to do with the color of my skin or Mm -hmm. the privilege that I have of being a white cisgendered married woman or an American or any other layer or identity that I might choose for myself. It's, it's how is who I am impacting how I'm in community with other people. I think of it in addition to that, it's just something 
it's a place where I don't have to think about things where someone else has to think about things that makes life more exhausting, more tiresome. So just to try to give an example, one place where I became acutely aware of my privilege, racial privilege as a white person, um, there's lots of different types of privileges, but I was teaching an undergraduate class in my doctoral program on life and career planning. And so there was a lot of, let's figure out, you know, your values and how you make decisions about career. And then the second part was a little more just hands-on resumes and job applications and all that kind of stuff. And so there was the day that we were talking about job applications and the things you should keep in mind when you're filling out job applications. And one young woman who was black raised her hand in the class and asked very sincerely, very just really wanted to know the answer. When I'm filling out a job application, should I leave the box on race not checked? Should I not check the box on race? And it was, it wasn't her trying to stir the pot or even start a conversation. She just really wanted my opinion on, is this going to be problematic for me? And I, in the moment I had this realization, I don't know that I handled it real well in the moment. I think I talked a little bit about like, well, a lot of applications are electronic now and they don't let you not check things and that kind of thing. But I went home and really thought about that and came back to class the next class and said, we need to talk about this because yeah. because that was a really great question, both technically, but also that's a, there's a bigger issue here that we need to talk about because me as a white person has never once had to wonder if I should check that box on a job application. I've never once had to wonder if I check this box and the hiring manager looks at it, could there be some conscious bias or unconscious bias that makes them pass over my application because I checked a box? And that's something she has to worry about. Mm -hmm. And that's something every person of color has to worry about. Now, does that mean that they're for sure going to be passed over or that all hiring managers are prejudiced no but that's just an example of privilege something that when I'm filling out this job application I don't have to think about yeah she has to think about yeah that's an example of privilege yes there's a really amazing exercise that we're uh we'll put in the show notes and link to on our website too um it's developed by Peggy McIntosh called unpacking the knapsack of privilege or you're nodding your head it's a very classic article I read it 20 some years ago yeah. in my in my master's program it's and not it's still new, around but it talks about things like um you like rate like our ability to find flesh colored any flesh colored makeup band-aids pantyhose if that's even a thing that people wear anymore um not during <laughs> not the me. coronavirus <laughs> pandemic that's for sure um but like in in a skin tone that will match your color or your ability when you speak to speak only for yourself and not as a representative of your gender or your race or your culture or yeah. you were mentioning like my black friend. You have your one black friend. Do you assume that that one black friend is speaking on behalf of all black people? Yeah. So that that there's a lot there and that just brings a little bit of awareness and maybe like the smallest bit of empathy is created when you're looking at band-aids and you think to yourself, I can get a flesh-colored band-aid and maybe a person of color can't. Yeah. And, you know, as white people, we when we realize all the things that we don't have to think about, that people of color have to think about, 
And you you just think about how exhausting that must be just day after day after day to Mm -hmm. have to wonder whether to check the box, whether to have to wonder if you didn't get called on in class is because of your color, whether you didn't get the apartment that you applied for has something to do with your race. Right. I mean, it's the big things, it's the little things that just can really be exhausting. And so it doesn't make me a bad person that I don't have to wonder about checking the box, but it's something I need to acknowledge and recognize that other people do have to think about it. And it doesn't mean that, you know, it it doesn't mean that maybe me getting a job isn't hard. Mm -hmm. It just means that my race isn't one of the things making it harder. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... You mentioned checking the box, and it made me think of another term that I think is important for us to talk about uh, in the context of this episode, and that's intersectionality. Mm-hmm. And I've, I kind of love it, being that the name of our podcast is Sacred <laughs> Intersections. Um, but when we talk about intersectionality, we talk about it in all of the ways that different identities that someone might claim intersect. So there is a way in which a woman who is black she carries around the identity of being black and she carries around the identity of being a woman and those two identities intersect with one another and they're both marginalized identities correct that don't carry as much privilege yes as other identities yes and so when we look at the different ways in which we as white people want to do hard work We can't just think about black people. We're thinking about black, indigenous, and people of color. And we want to think about all of the communities that might fall within that. That there are, you are more than just the color of your skin. That's the, I think, the grounding of what is intersectionality is you're more than just one thing. We are multi-layered people. And so there are numbers of identities that different people claim. And it's important to honor all of those. Yes, And you hear the term, I hear the term white feminism quite a bit Mm -hmm. and how there often is good intent there, but it perhaps is lacking a complete understanding of a white, that a white feminist may carry some marginalization in her gender identity, but great privilege in that. White feminist cannot have this complete, um meshing with a black feminist because there is a layer of racial oppression that happens to a black feminist that doesn't happen to a white feminist right and that advocacy they both are important but they're but there's just different nuance to what might happen in that advocacy work definitely doesn't mean it's not important so definitely so you know but people get so defensive when they hear the term privilege and so i would just encourage you to really think about that it's not meant to be a oh you have so much privilege life so easy for you it's just recognizing there are ways that your life is easier and that we have to acknowledge that and use our privilege when we can to recognize the power that comes with that privilege exactly and if we want to take some inspiration from our sacred texts from scripture we hear from Jesus's mouth, we we see in the life and ministry that he leads this 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 work and this ministry for the oppressed, for the vulnerable, and that is important to note. And there are plenty of ways in which privilege 
Jesus sort of turns to those with privilege. And I imagine Jesus is saying, come on now, let's use that privilege for good. Mm -hmm. We also hear it in a lot of the prophetic works in the Hebrew Bible or what we would call the Old Testament in this, in the ways in which the prophets say to those with privilege, let's look for justice. We talked in uh, one of our episodes about the prophet Amos who said who you know God speaks through Amos to say I don't want your festivals I don't want your your big worshipy shows I want justice which I think is important and I know that justice is a word that has a lot of weight with it in the same way that privilege does but there are ways in which privilege in scripture is used for good privilege and power so if we look at the prophet Nehemiah one of the lesser known prophets Nehemiah saw great injustice happening in Jerusalem, in his home, and called together all kinds of people and used his position and his place of power to say to other people of power, this is wrong, let's change it. And so privilege in the best sense of the way, in the word, in the best sense of its possession, privilege is used for good. And maybe in the ways in which we as white people are in proximity with people who are different from us and who's, who have less privilege than we do, we can then turn to folks who maybe gave up listening to this episode a long time ago and who don't, who, who bristle at terms like privilege mm-hmm. and start to try and have those conversations and they're, to speak the language of privilege to other people who have privilege. Yeah. Yeah, because... Just thinking about the example of Jesus and those of us who call ourselves Christians, like why we should be concerned with this, why we should accept our calling for racial reconciliation and for reaching out to those in the margins and the oppressed is just to think about the example of Jesus over and over and over again of Jesus, who was the literal savior, not swooping in like the white savior that we discussed earlier, mm-hmm. but who, who wasn't going in saying, oh, you poor beneath me person, let me help you. Right. It was, I see you. Yeah. I see you. I'm with you. What can I do? What do I have that I can give you? How can I join you? What do you need? Right. And yes, we, go. Well, Bye. so much about Jesus was about restoring people into being in community yes so when we look at things like jesus healing a leper it wasn't just getting rid of the skin disease or whatever it is that we understand leprosy to be it's restoring someone to be able to rejoin their community to bring people together to be this great reconciler or this great unifier and that's so important. I think also another way that we understand Jesus, and this is like an entire branch of theology, is as a liberator, as someone who frees from the chains of oppression. And so liberation theology is an entire branch of study, right? Like, yeah, this is why we say this is the beginning of many, but understanding that Jesus is a bringing together and not a a shamer or a patronizer, but a, I'm here, I see you. Yeah. And that's just, that's why to me, this is a sacred intersection topic. Yeah. Because this is what I believe we are called to do. Mm-hmm. That Jesus, I mean, it's, you know, it's in that Christmas song, 
um, a holy night about oppression, that that's mm-hmm. what Jesus came to do. Oppression and, shall cease. And, but it hasn't ceased yet. <laughs> so that he left us to continue that work. Yes. And that's what we... We need to take that seriously. Yes. And again, not in a savior kind of way, but just to recognize people are still being oppressed. Mm-hmm. And what what can we do about it? Right. Without saying, oh, that's the government's job or, oh, that's the oppressed, that's the job of the oppressed. It's like, no, what is our job? Yeah. And that might mean big stuff like getting arrested at a protest or that might mean little stuff like looking around your meeting at work and seeing only white faces and wondering why mm-hmm. and wondering who else should be at that table yes. and can you use your white face in that sea of white faces to say can we include so and so next time mm-hmm. um or what do we need to be intentional about with mm-hmm. this hire not um you know i know quotas can be controversial but the the intent behind them is not to not to exclude white people, but just to recognize that representation is important. And that, you know, when I think about my work as a college professor on on a faculty that's mostly white, with many students of color, the importance of a student of color being able to see themselves represented in their instructor, who could help them understand things and guide them in their processes in ways I never can. Mm -hmm. And that should be a factor in a hire that we make, because that's important for our students' needs. It is. And, you know, seeing yourself in others, I think um, it is so important that we recognize that we have been created in the image of God. And so has everyone else. Mm. And so... Mm, That's so good. When we are able to see that everyone we encounter also bears the divine image of God. It's not just white people. Because if we want to take the Jesus metaphor down the wrong road, not only was Jesus not white, but if Jesus was, you know, if God incarnate came in Jesus looking exactly like God is supposed to look then God looked a lot like a Middle Eastern man. Mm-hmm. So sit with that. that. <laughs> sit with that. Let's sit with that for a minute. And there's things about that that are problematic about like, you know, God, the Trinitarian God having a gender and all those things. And yet we are called to see God's divine image in everyone we meet. And It is our privilege if we look around a room and see God's divine image in everyone looking like us. Yes. Diversity is a gift of God. Yes. You know, we can we can go down a, a really interesting and unique rabbit hole. Well, I think it's interesting and unique. Maybe this is a nerd <laughs> alert, but um the ways in which the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis is preached and depicted as this great sin. That the that it was it was God punishing God's people for thinking too highly of themselves. And one way to reframe that is to look at the gift of the Tower of Babel as the gift of diversity. Hmm. And in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we later learn in the act of Pentecost that the diversity still remained, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, everyone could understand one another. There was this connection and there is unity within the diversity. So the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost did not make everyone speak English, American English (laughs) that everyone can understand. 
But the Holy Spirit allowed people to have this deeper understanding and this deeper unity being connected to the family of God. And the Tower of Babel was not this punishment for being sinful. The Tower of Babel was this gift of diversity that we are all still part of God's family, but you look different than I do and I look different and and your culture is this way and my culture is this way. And there's such beauty in that. And when we're able to see the divine image of God in other people. In every other person. Right. Even those with whom we disagree. Yeah. And that's, you know, it just here, that's such a great reminder for that. You know, when we think about how white people can get so up in arms about a picture of a black Jesus, mm-hmm. like, why is that so threatening to you? Mm-hmm. Why is that so threatening to you? Is that saying, I mean, that's seeing the divine in this image. Yeah. You know, why is that so threatening to you? And I just think, you know, going back to our using other as a verb, how we other mm-hmm. people and how Christians do it and not seeing the divine image in a certain group of people. And I just think back to, um, I don't know, this almost feels like it should carry a trigger warning for any of our people of color who are listening, but also you live with us every day. So that might be a little I'm not sure if that was even appropriate to say, but I think back to when my husband and I were in Charleston and we went to one of the museums. One of the things in the museum was a manifest of a slave ship. And Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. And a manifest of a slave ship where just literally people listed as product Mm -hmm. listed as this was the product that was coming over this is how much was lost at sea this is how many men remained and there's just no better description to me as othering someone to completely strip someone of their humanity to see them as a product that is what we did with slavery Mm -hmm. and we have to recognize the cultural trauma that has continued to trickle down from that through all these generations of us as white people looking at other humans and stripping them of their humanity and our connectionness in that humanity and saying you are a product that I can own and sell and tear away from your family I mean that it's not un-American to recognize that happened that happened here and we're still dealing with the repercussions of it and until we name it and own it we're gonna I mean it's not gonna look it's gonna go away from naming and owning it but it's being worse when we're trying to deny that we made manifests like you would of a stock inventory that you do in a warehouse of human beings of people and the ways in which having a manifest dehumanizes like I can't imagine that there's a way that you can look at a manifest and see those names as names of people who bear God's divine image. Yeah. And and there are there are folks out there I understand who really struggle with that idea. Um I'll I'll go forward with another nerd alert in that there are a lot of ways in which scripture has been used to justify slavery because the word slave is in the Bible. And I just want to say that when you're reading in 2020, your King James Version, and yes, I hear judgment in my voice when I'm saying that, <laughs> and I am sorry. 
But when you're reading your King James Version or your translation of scripture that refers to slavery in English, you need to know that that word has been translated many, many, many times over and that there is a a lot of work that needs to be done for we Americans living in 2020 to understand the implications of the biblical Hebrew or the Aramaic or the Koinonia Greek that used that word in scripture. What was the context that was going on? However, you know, whenever that text was written and all the layers of the interpretation of scripture, sorry about the nerd alert, but it's hard to use scripture to say, well, it says slave in the Bible, so that's okay. Well, it also says murder in the Bible and that's not okay. Let's be cautious how we used sacred text and just throw it around as a justification for things because it doesn't justify oppression because it also says in the Bible directly from Jesus' mouth that oppression is wrong. Oppressions shall cease. I'm here to proclaim liberty and captive. Liberty to the oppressed and to set the captives free. To the whole world. Preach. I think up until you brought that point up, Jill, we've been talking a lot about the more subtle ways that racism shows up and the denial of privilege and things like that. But yes, we have to mention, since our whole podcast is about harm and harmful theology, that kind of thing, that yes, there are those really overt ways that people use the pulpit and the Bible to justify horrific things related to racism that have been been used. I mean, the KKK calls itself, considers itself to be a Christian organization. Mm -hmm. I mean, like that's as a Christian, I'm not okay with that. Right. We have to, we, we have to continue to call that out that yes, it's been used to justify enslaving other humans. It's been used to justify, um, not marrying an interracial couple, you know, denying those kind of things as well. It's been used to, to create, additional division Mm -hmm. when i studied religious abuse i would those are the kind of things that from a systemic group perspective that i would consider religious abuse right right so to pluck something from the very headlines today uh you and i both looked at an article uh that we can link to that was um, featured in sojourners about some things going on in the Southern Baptist Convention recently. In their seminaries. Yeah. So a group of presidents of seminaries that are part of the denomination of the Southern Baptist Church came out and made um, some statements denying things like critical race theory. Which basically says privilege exists. Correct. And intersectionality, which we, we described before, and said that they do not uh, appropriately mesh with Baptist faith and message. And as a former Baptist, I'm just, I'm horrified by that. And as a Christian, I'm horrified by a Christian organization choosing that this is the thing you're going to make a statement about. Mm. In December of 2020, of all the things you could make statements about, this is the thing, this is where you put your stake in the ground. This is the battle you choose to fight. It's just like, why? 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 What kind of power is threatened by recognizing that black people still don't have as much privilege as white people in our country? Sure. Like, why is that such a threat to you? Yeah. And this may be a lens that comes from, I really liked being naive before <laughs> and thinking about the goodness of everyone. And I pray that it is not a political thing. 
that it is that because there are so many ways in which words like privilege have been politicized that the idea about critical race theory and intersectionality have been villainized and and made to be evil and it scares the bleep out of me to think that there are things that we could learn there are things that we could read and that being restricted. It reminds me of another time in the history of our country when things were put on lists and there were restrictions and the ways in which we learn about that time as a horrible time in our history. And and as that trend starts to repeat itself of don't learn about critical race theory and don't talk about white supremacy, mm, I'm pretty sure here in America, there's things like freedom of speech. And we want to learn about these things and the ways in which those are threatening. How can that how can that not be a denial of the divine image that others bear? Yeah. And this idea that talking about it is going to make it happen or mm. you're going to make it worse. Right. No, yeah. it exists. And talking about it is it, it may make it more difficult or more tense or more challenging in the moment for those of us who've benefited by not having to talk about it right. for so long. Right. But if we don't talk about it, it doesn't make it not there. Yes. And it, it makes me think of um, the incident in Charlottesville three or four years ago when literal self-described Nazis were walking through the street with torches on. And I remember my, again, naive little white mind going, how do we have Nazis in America in this day and age? And then I had this moment where I heard some of my friends of color going like, really, Paula, this is surprising to you. This is so not surprising to us. Um, I actually had some some friends of color who said, we actually appreciate it when they identify themselves that way because <laughs> it's it's not like it doesn't exist when just because they're loud and out and have identified themselves, it's still happening. You know, it's not surprising that ideas like Nazism and overt white supremacy exist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just easy for those of us who don't encounter it on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. I remember being here in our town um in the very recent past after that incident in charlottesville i was standing in line in a lowe's hardware and um this was back when we didn't worry about standing six feet away from people so i was like maybe a couple of feet behind this person but there's this person in line it was around a, a warmer month and uh this person was wearing shorts and i looked at the tattoos on their legs I'm someone who loves tattoos and saw their legs and saw what I thought was a swastika and a number of other tattoos and images that go along with um, white supremacy and Nazism and that kind of thinking and took a step back and was mind blown that that was something that I was seeing and like I know we're in North Carolina. We're south of the Mason-Dixon line, which is not my where I grew up, but it was there and it, it is still a prevalent thing. And there are ways in which incidents like Charlottesville and other incidents have perhaps maybe emboldened people who have that ideology. 
my struggle, I think many of our struggle, is people who carry that ideology and do so with that ideology in one hand and their Bible in another hand, as though they are on a mission from God, as though they are doing God's work to to purify like there's there is not a religious instruction or a call from god to eliminate a race or a culture or a way of life i just don't believe it yeah i i agree and that's that's the part that's so baffling to me Mm -hmm. to to claim the name of jesus when you are doing such things when you are standing for such overt oppression and you know, I mean, I don't know if we want to go there, but I can pass a Confederate flag mm. every time I drive to work. Mm-hmm. And I know this is a hot button issue. And I know if people did make it this far, there's kind of a perking up perhaps happening of like, you're not coming after my flag. And that's not about hate, that whole heritage over hate kind of thing. And, you know, what I would offer to that is that symbols are important Mm -hmm. you know what things stand for and what we what we choose to wear on our body tattoo on our body fly outside our house is says a lot about where we're coming from with something right you know being intentional about those things and even if you can look at that flag and go it doesn't mean hate or slavery or racism to me to not have the compassion or the empathy or just awareness of a fellow human being to know what that must feel like Mm -hmm. for a person of color, which I, again, as a white woman, I can never completely know, but having enough empathy to think what it must look like to see this symbol of slavery. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's, it's very hard to deny that's what it is and how that must feel to someone to see that and remind them of their ancestors who were, completely dehumanized i don't understand how you can do that and fly a christian flag right beside it which i often see yeah so it's it's this idea and i i'm walking a really fine line here on shaky ground i think that as people of faith we are invited to consider others before we consider ourselves i i would I would like to to make that. That is one of the many things as people of faith that we are invited to consider. And so if if what I say, if how I dress, if the flag that I fly, if the words that I use are offensive or hurtful or hurtful, that I hope there is a chance and an invitation to think, is it necessary for me to use these this way? And and this battleground that has developed over why does everything have to be politically correct all the time and I'm so tired of worrying about what I'm gonna say and that's sort of why I got so shaky about this concept of grace before because we do want to give one another grace and mercy as we're navigating this Um, but if someone comes to you and says, the flag that you're flying is offensive to me, I would like you to take it down. The, the thing that I want to sit with and struggle is if, if a person of color comes to you and says, you're flying a Confederate flag and it offends me and I'd like you to take it down. How do we sit with that? How do we respond to that? 
in a slightly different way. If a person comes to someone who's flying a pride flag and says to you, the flag that you're flying is offensive, I want you to take it down. How do we respond differently in that situation? Just because we might, just because I, Jill, prefer a pride flag over a Confederate flag, I cringe when I drive past a Confederate flag, I will say. I find it very troublesome and I care very deeply about the LGBTQIA plus community and I love a rainbow and I love the pride flag. So I recognize that what I'm saying is problematic because those are two different things, but I think it's important to sit and wrestle with that and to say, I don't have the answer. Well, and I don't have the answer either, but I do, how I can reconcile that in my mind and what I've I've done is to just think about is what we're doing hurting someone Mm -hmm. is what we're doing creating a discomfort for someone and yes we were I think scripture calls us to put others above ourselves but at its core Jesus was very clear the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor Mm -hmm. and is it loving your neighbor to not at least ask yourself the question when someone comes and says This is symbolic of my ancestors being torn from each other's families and being not having the freedom to walk off a property if they want to. And that is that really hurts my soul. Mm -hmm. Why is it more important to you to dig in and say, yeah, but I get to do this versus I see your hurt I don't want to hurt you. I want to love my neighbor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the pride flag, in my estimation, has not been something that's been used to oppress. Yes. Now, there is a great quote that says, when you're used to privilege, equality can feel like oppression. And I'll say that again. When you're used to privilege, equality can feel like oppression. Mm -hmm. When all of a sudden, when you're not alone at the top or at least don't have someone below you, it feels like, hey, what happened? I lost my rights as opposed to no, everyone else just kind of came up where you were. That doesn't mean you lost anything. Yes. Um, what's what's the phrase? Um, something is like pie. It's not like... It's not... Yeah, equality is not pie. There, it's not like... There's it's plenty not like to if you take around. a piece, then there's then less for anyone there's else. There's less for anyone else. There's It's a graphic. We'll put it in there somewhere. Yeah. But I love that yeah. picture of like... It's not pie. It's not, I have a a graphic on my wall that talks about the difference between equality and equity and justice. And it's equality is there's a fence and there's three people of different heights and they're each standing on a box. Everybody gets a box. Well, the tallest person can see over the fence real, real well. And the, the mama bear, the middle person can, can sort of just barely see over the fence and the short person cannot see over the fence at all. And then you Because they're at, all on the same size box. Right. They're all on the same size box. We'll put this graphic up on the website too. <laughs> it's really hard with audio to talk about <laughs> visual aids. Um, so then you get to equity and it's the same three people and there's still three boxes. But the tallest person who doesn't need a box to see over the fence doesn't get a box. And the person who could just barely see over the fence gets one box to see over the fence. And the shortest person gets two boxes. And, and the tall person's not crying going, I want my own box. Right. Because they're not getting any advantage that the other ones don't get from their boxes. All three of them are at the same height and can see over the fence. And then there's this third one that says justice and the fence is gone. Hmm. Or it's and, a glass fence. Maybe they can and see may, through. Yes. <laughs> and they can see through it. So 
middle, you know, tall person, middle, middle person, shortest person. All three can see without supports or accommodations because the cause of the inequity was addressed and the systemic barrier has been removed. Right. And I would argue that that's that's a piece of this flag that that flag to many, many people symbolizes hatred, mm-hmm. symbolizes a message that I hate you because of the color of your skin. Now, you can stand there and say, but I don't hate you. But you're flying something that symbolizes that to someone else. Mm-hmm. The pride flag, while some people might experience that in a different way, has not been flown as a symbol of I'm trying to take away your rights. Yes. It's being flown as a I would like to have the same rights. Mm-hmm. I would like to be recognized. And I maybe that's mental gymnastics for myself, but I don't think so. I think that... Again, the symbol and what it stands for is important. And so I just don't understand this need to dig in and fly a flag when you know that it's hurtful to people. And, yeah. you know, Confederate statues, I the best response I've heard to things like this is when someone kidnaps your children and takes them someone or, somewhere else and enslaves them, where should we put up the monuments to your kidnappers? You know, to kind of try to make it a little more present day of what that symbolizes to people. Right, right. And why are we choosing to hold on to these things? Yeah, yeah. You teach me every time we have conversations. Thank you for that reframe. That is really helpful to me. I also, I think about, you know, the issue of the Confederate flag. And I think about other things that have been problematic, like the phrase Black Lives Matter. I don't think the phrase is, let's be clear, you're not saying the phrase is problematic, Well, but it has been problematized by some people. It has been made, you know, there are people who find the phrase problematic because of what it represents, because there's an organization behind it that that behaves in a certain way, and and there are people who find that problematic. And the the Confederate flag issue, the, the phrase Black Lives Matter... The ways in which there is a digging in of heels and a refusal of that comes back to that individualistic culture of I'm going to fly my flag if I want to sounds a lot to me like nobody's going to tell me to wear a mask, Mm. um, both of which I struggle with. Clearly, you can hear the judgment in my voice. Um, that she, I want to be clear to our listeners, she struggles with people who think that. She doesn't struggle with wearing a mask. Correct. (laughs) Yes. I, I have... A red mask, and I love it. Um, uh, so this idea that there are phrases, that there are flags, that there are things out there that you have a right to say or to do, regardless of how it impacts others. When I hear that phrase, I'm sick of being politically correct, it, it, it to me sounds like, well, I'm sick of this pandemic. So I'm just going to go out and be around among people and I'm going to stop wearing my mask and I'm going to do what I want to do because it's what I want to do. And it goes back to this individualism and all thought is lost about what that does to the concept of loving our neighbor. How are we seeing God's divine image in our neighbor? How are we taking care of others? Yeah. And and so this phrase, Black Lives Matter, there's a really, I find it funny, comedy sketch that Michael Che does. And Michael Che, I know from Saturday Night Live, he's one of the co-anchors of Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live. 
He has a comedy special on Netflix where he goes into this whole thing about how Black Lives Matter has somehow been politicized. And in its, if we look at the words individual, like Black Lives Matter, and he kind of says it with this question in his voice. And there's this new story that came out about a football player from the University of South Carolina, who a white football player who was looking at his teammates and just sort of seeing the need for conversation about race. And he was like, matter, matter is the minimum. And I thought that that was the most brilliant thing that I've heard. I've preached at least one, maybe more sermons about this idea that like matter is not Like, Black Lives Matter. Of course Black Lives Matter. Black lives are lives that are created in the image of God. Like, why is that something that people find offensive? Why is that a threat? Why is that a threat to be told that Black Lives Matter? Right. You have shared with me before this really helpful perspective on this concept. Will you talk about that? This is another thing that one of my students taught me in my doctoral program um, when we were discussing this topic and it was another black woman who who said kind of adding a word at the beginning can maybe help white people who are struggling with this phrase a little bit and she said it's not only black lives matter it's not putting only at the beginning of it that's not the point of it Mm -hmm. it's putting something at the end it's saying black lives matter too because this phrase came out of a movement of feeling like of of a group of people, and I, I don't want to speak for the founders, but my understanding and how I experience it is this came out of a movement of being sent the message of continuing to feel dehumanized mm-hmm. and like their lives don't matter. Mm-hmm. And so to to challenge Black Lives Matter with all lives matter, like are Black lives not lives? Like that's included in all lives matter. Right. So why is it so wrong to say Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to get people to recognize that many black people have felt like they've been sent the message systemically from a wide variety of places that their lives don't matter. Mm-hmm. And so why? Oh, it's just so baffling to me that this would be offensive to you. Right. And why, again, you are so threatened by this. Yeah. So I would – that's what I would encourage you to have conversations with your with your friends or family members who – who are continuing to resist this word or resist understanding someone else's experience to say, why is this phrase so threatening to you? Yeah. And to really encourage people to sit with that. Right, right. It's it's this idea of how how is what you say and reflecting your ability to see God's divine image in someone else. And I know that I keep coming back to that, but it really is a foundational thing for me. Yeah. How is what you say reflecting God, the way that you see God's divine image in other people? Because if that's where you start is, I see God's divine image in you, it makes it a lot harder to hate. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's true across the board. You know, one of the, I'll probably share this story multiple times. I don't think I've shared it yet, but, but a book I read quite a long time ago called Blue Like Jazz by by Don Miller. Um, he, he, there was something in it that I'm not sure if he phrased it this way or if I heard it this way, but it was this idea of let me feel God, God, let me feel your love for this person mm. as opposed to let me love this person. Let me feel your love for this person. Beautiful. And that was such a change for me to, 
stop trying to love people who may feel really unlovable out of my own power Mm -hmm. you know whether that's someone in front of me who's driving really slowly when I'm trying to get to work on time to (laughs) really even in that moment say okay let me see this person as God sees them versus how I'm trying to force myself to feel that to me is allowing God to work through you the Holy Spirit to speak through you and yes to take that on a larger systemic level you can't other someone Mm -hmm. if that's how you're looking at the world right because we're all as you say created in the image of God Mm -hmm. And so when we're othering someone, we're saying God is not good enough or God is beneath me. Right, right. And to take away the idea that someone else bears God's divine image, to dehumanize them in that way, God would not stand for that. Jesus would not allow that to happen. And in times when someone was trying to take away, that's when Jesus stepped in and said, No, I'm going to heal you of your leprosy and allow you to rejoin your community. Or no, I'm going to cast out this demon so that you can go and be a part of this community. Because God loves you. You have been forgiven. You are whole. Go rejoin this community. Go be with people. Mm, I get fired up about that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. And I just, just thinking from the mental health perspective and just... The world that we're living in and how divided we are and how often we're seeking out things that reinforce whatever side that we're on. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like there's this big band of anger going around the world Mm -hmm. and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And Mm -hmm. that's where we, I think, as Christians and as counselors who may or may not be Christians, have a responsibility to try to break that ring that's going around and just to invite people Why does this make you so angry? Why is this something that is so intense for you? And why is this division and you're not like me more important than looking at the ways that you are like me? And that sounds so so oversimplified, but I just, I I just think that this, this anger and this, I am right and you're wrong is going to be the downfall of our country. It's Mm going to be the downfall of humanity. Mm -hmm. And we've got to find a way to, as you say, see God in each other as opposed to sitting in our own camps and just staying in our own camp and never venturing over to that other camp. We've got to find ways to talk to each other. Yeah, to to go back to to Dr. Pierce's words, to find ways to repair the breach. You know, there are, are many people of faith who see God as a reconciler who see Jesus as the great recon Jesus reconciles us to God to our creator mm-hmm. so yeah you know I feel like we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours on end yeah. and I don't want to cut off conversation I want to invite our listeners and our community to respond to us I know that there are a whole lot of billboards that this segment this metaphor that I'm pushing real hard of these sacred intersections and these billboards that we want to share resources with you and that there are folks out there who are doing really good work from perspectives of mental health from perspectives of people of faith and of the church on this work on racism and and we look forward to sharing those with you through um, there'll be a link to our website in our yeah. show notes which is just... sacred intersections podcast.com mm-hmm. but yeah i think we can have a whole page on resources to help with our your own work that you might be doing things yes. that have helped 
us individually, things yes. that I share with my students quite yeah. a bit. And all different kinds of media as well. Books to read, uh, accounts to follow on social media, on, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, on uh, po- other podcasts to listen to. We are not threatened by sharing other podcasts. There's enough space in the podcast world to go around. Yeah. 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 Uh, there, you know, there are lots of different ways that people take in information. And so there's movies to watch. There are all kinds of things. And recognizing that there's a lot of important work to be done. And so I would like to invite you to hold us accountable to doing that work. Mm-hmm. I would like to invite you to join us in holding one another accountable to doing that work. Mm-hmm. We would love to hear from you. Yeah. If there's something we've said that you think, oh, I want to hear more about mm-hmm. that, please comment on our social media posts. And many of you have sent us beautiful messages send us messages yes. um we we want this to be something you want to hear yeah so, yeah so yeah if there's something that sparked any amount of interest let us know and we can put it on the list of upcoming things right there's because there's so, like we didn't even get to talking about lenny duncan's book dear church and the ways in which the church is part of institutional yes. racism and, and the segregation of the church yeah like how sunday morning is often the most segregated time in america right. and that's really interesting and i also want to acknowledge yeah that's a whole other podcast but just how important it is to have that safe space sometimes yes. and and so as much as I would love for our congregation to be diverse, I understand why some people of color don't choose to go to a racially diverse church. Sure. So, oh, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, there's so there's, many good things to talk about. There's lots more. So please don't hear us ending this particular episode as sort of closing the door <laughs> or clapping the hands that we are done yeah. with this conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. Um, thank you for hanging in with us. Thank you for the privilege of participating in this conversation with us please interact with us let us yes. know what you're thinking find us on facebook and instagram at sacred intersections podcast find us at twitter at sacred pod we got an apple review as we mentioned at the beginning so we would love it if you would also leave an apple review and yes. help other people find us share us share our posts share things with other people we just we want to continue these conversations you can come to our website sacredintersectionspodcast.com where we will share these resources and things like that you can also leave comments on our website under the various episodes and things like that so we really look forward to hearing you We really like you, and we're grateful to be able to share in this journey with you. Yes, we are. So safe travels on all your sacred intersections throughout the week. Woohoo!